Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Welcoming in the Christmas season with a fun and meaningful activity centered around the nativity, you'll be hearing from sisters Allison Hottinger and Lisa Kalber relating about how they've taught their children the importance of giving. And Christian music veteran and author Michael Card, who wrote a song many years ago called The Nazarene, helps readers through his new book to focus in on snapshots from the life of Jesus. Then, Linda Randall has gained notoriety through her participation in Gaither music videos and events. She discusses her new Christmas project and shares insight into the background behind it. And coming up on this edition of The Intersection, another well-known Christian musician is coming your way, representing yet another musical style. John Cooper of the legendary Christian rock band Skillet shares about his observations regarding the church and the way it engages the culture, calling for a return to teaching that is consistent with scripture. Finally, it's husband and wife acting and film producing duo Jen Gotson and Jim E. Chandler offering a new look at a new faith and family-friendly Christmas movie that is centered around what the Bible has to say about true beauty. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. Allison Hottinger and Lisa Kalber are sisters who live halfway across the country from each other, Allison in California and Lisa in Texas. Together, they have created what is called the Giving Manger, a Christmas tradition, which helps to teach children the value of giving as Jesus gave to humanity. The box set, including a manger and a storybook, is intended to help children develop a giving spirit. Here now are Allison Hottinger and Lisa Kalber. Our kids were starting to just really focus on their Christmas lists and how they kept getting longer and Christmas was starting to become all about what they were going to get at Christmas. And we just kind of had talked and we're like, this isn't what we want Christmas to be about in our homes. So it was at that point, I think my oldest was seven or eight years old and I had a little baby and I remembered we had a neighbor um, friend. And so I was probably eight years old at the time and she had a wooden manger out in her home. And I remember asking her like, what's that for? And she said, Oh, each time we do something nice for someone else, we put a piece of straw in the manger to create a soft bed for the baby Jesus on Christmas Day. And I said, well, do you put a baby Jesus in at the end? And she goes, no. And I'm like, okay, fast forward. I never thought about it again until we were at this moment with our own children in our homes. And that idea popped into my mind. And I thought, I want to do that with my children. That like a great physical reminder of doing something for others and also doing something for Jesus as you do. So I sent my husband out to the garage and he built us our first giving manger and we put it in our house. All we had was straw in a manger and it just completely transformed our Christmas season. My kids were doing little things like putting their brother's shoes away or going and decorating a neighbor's door with hearts, all sorts of little things. We worked together to fill that manger that year and it just became Christmas now became about giving giving gifts to Jesus. And it just was all about Christ again and giving, which was exactly what we were hoping for. So then the next year we made some and we gave them as gifts to friends just as a Christmas present. And from there, we just kept hearing, wait, I think there's more people out there that want to shift Christmas like you guys. And so from there, Lisa and I got together. She built the official giving manger in her garage. (laughs) I sculpted the baby at my kitchen table and we wrote the book and 
here we are and it's just been a wild journey to see how many people all across the country are really looking for the same thing we are just to shift the focus of christmas back to jesus and giving lisa let me ask you just about the the technical aspects how does one build a manger or how did you build a manger and now how has that kind of been translated into what's being offered in the giving manger box set yeah, honestly, we probably, my husband helped me. He's the sweetest thing ever. Both we would, I don't know how we could do any of this without our spouses, but I get that. Yeah, sure. We both kind of took on the different aspects of what we felt like we needed to bring this tradition, like really share it with other people. We knew we needed all these different components. So kind of refining it, Allison and I really like things to be really simple and classic so that they're timeless. And we wanted to build something that people could use year after year and that could be a beautiful centerpiece in their home. So I don't even know how many different (laughs) samples we made and we're in two different states and sending pictures. And anyhow, we did, we did finally refine it down to a really simple and beautiful piece. Um, And Allison hand sculpted a baby. She's amazing. I mean, this wasn't like our talent. We just, there's, there's just something that happens when you really are inspired by an idea and, I will say it wasn't the most optimal time in our lives to bring this into like a business. Allison had five kids, as she mentioned, and I had just recently been diagnosed with MS. So my health was a little, a little shifty there as well, but truly, I mean, it was something that we couldn't shake it. We just, we couldn't shake it. We just thought we, we have to make this. We have to bring this. And the book is such an important part of it. So the book tells the story of a family and how they start their tradition and how it really changes their lives and how the kids are able to kind of see um, just through different eyes by, you know, following the example of Jesus. And um, what you're going to do is you just set your little manger out at the beginning of the Christmas season, you know, and every time you've got your little bundle of straw next to it, and every time someone in the family just does a little act of kindness, they just get to add a little piece of straw to the manger. And you just slowly watch throughout that month of December and see that manger just fill and every. Every little thing you know is just an act of kindness and love that your family's provided. So um, we love to bring our baby Jesus out on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about what was the most meaningful thing for us throughout the Christmas season. And then we like to bring that back so we can talk to the kids about everything that Jesus did in his life and how we now are sort of like leading by that example. Lisa Kalber and Allison Hottinger here on this edition of The Intersection. You can learn more at thegivingmanger.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection podcast, it's Christian musical artist and author Michael Card, who shared observations about the life of Jesus in a discussion about his devotional book, The Nazarene, 40 Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus. From that conversation, this is Michael Card now. I think it basically just comes out of a fascination with the life of Jesus. I'm, I'm writing another book on the life of Jesus right now. Uh, I just find his, I, I mean, certainly he's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. He died for our sins. I mean, all those all those uh, great truths about who he is. But then there is the, the, the person of Jesus and the details of his life and the quirky things that he he has sometimes said and did and uh, uh, and uh, mysterious things that he said and did. And I just, 
I find his life to be endlessly fascinating. And um and so that's that that's where this comes from. I just think you never get to the bottom. Uh you, you just when you think you understand one story of something that he said or did, you see a whole new aspect, a whole new uh a perspective on it and 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 no one else's life is like that. I mean, only his life has that beautiful uh I want to say complexity, but it's not exactly complexity. It's just depth and elegance and uh there there well there aren't any words to really you know describe, you know, his life, but um that that's what I'm interested in. The book I'm writing now is on the details of his life. You know, you know how how far is it how far is it a walk from this town to that town? Uh, what does it mean that Jesus walks to Jerusalem three or four times a, a year? Uh, what you know? What does it mean that he he doesn't baptize people unless the disciples do that? I mean, there are all kinds of really interesting details, and they all have meaning behind them, and that's mm-hmm. that's that's what interests me. So tell me about the song, The Nazarene. Take us back to the writing of that and really what you wanted to do with it. Okay. Well, that that song comes from actually a quote by Julius Caesar. Um, after one of his great victories, he, he, uh, he returns to Rome, I think. And he had a motto that had a triumph for him. And his motto was, Vini, Vidi, Vici, I came, I saw, I conquered. And that's this, you know, you know, historically one of the most powerful men that ever lived and blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking about, hmm, I came, I saw, I conquered. And then I thought about Jesus' life, and I'm thinking that wouldn't have been Jesus' motto. Jesus' motto would have been, uh, I came, I saw, I surrendered. Hmm. I, you know, I let go of my life. I, uh, Philippians said, you know, he could have grasped equality with God, but he didn't do it. And so, you know, I'm kind of comparing you know, the so-called most powerful man in the world with, with the absolute greatest man, in many ways, the most powerful man, Jesus. And isn't it interesting that when he comes, it's the opposite of the great, you know, these great historical famous people. Jesus surrenders and lets go and makes himself nothing, uh, Paul says. And uh, that's where that song, uh, that that was the, uh, the, the impetus behind that song. Well, as we conclude... I've mentioned a subtitle already. It's 40 Devotions on the Lyrical Life of Jesus. In what respects could you share with us that the life of Jesus would be considered to be lyrical? Well, lyrics, uh, there's a certain mystery to them. Uh, The the main point of calling his life a lyrical life is one of the the facets of, of, of at least good lyrics is that they demand that you interact with them. Jesus' parables are the same way. Uh, he, he tells his parables, and then with one exception, he, 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 he doesn't explain them. He does explain the, the seed parables in private to the disciples at one point. But in general, Jesus tells a parable, he doesn't explain it. Uh, and what happens is you, you are then forced to engage when Jesus says he who has ears to hear let him hear what he's basically saying is if you don't if you don't engage with this you're not going to get it because it, mm. it, 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 his, his life demands our interaction and that's what I'm trying to do or begin to do with this book is see that you know we we have to engage with our imaginations 
uh, with our hearts and our minds when we listen to the life of Jesus. Michael Card here on The Intersection. His website address is michaelcard.com. Next, it's Christian musical artist Linda Randall. In our conversation, she discussed the concept of her new Christmas project entitled White Christmas, as well as the background of some of the songs on it. Now some material from that conversation. This is Linda Randall now. How did you come to this decision to put the songs on the album that are there? Well, the songs that I chose really, songs I've always loved. And then I am careful to, Bob, to choose songs that I could I could marry my voice well. And I always tell young singers, songwriter people and all that stuff, I said, look, you could have the most amazing songs. Somebody says, oh, you ought to sing this, you ought to sing that. Those songs that either make or break you because everybody's voice doesn't lend itself to every song just because you are, people say, think you're you know, a great singer or whatever. But I chose the songs first because I really liked the songs. And I said, well, no, do they fit my voice um, and, and my kind of style and flow of singing? And they, and they did. It was a good, it was a good, good marriage of that. And so I, I loved, like I said, Sweet Little Baby Jesus. And then I've always loved the drummer boy. There's something about that whole thing in my DNA when I hear mm. those drums and that deep lows. And then do you hear what I hear? And the, the shepherd boy and how exciting it was when Jesus was born. And, and then encouraging people to go tell everybody that Jesus, Jesus is born you know, go tell it on the mountain. So I've I've done a lot of those songs. Then the last one I on the project is Thank You Baby Jesus. It's a song that I um wrote uh quite a few years ago and uh never recorded it on this level and Jason Clark of the Neelands produced uh most of this project and he was incredible. So I think it was a it was it was it was just it was kind of easy to actually choose the songs. Not hard. I could have done a lot more, but I'm glad that we we got the ones that we did get. Yeah. Well, I wanted you to elaborate just a bit. The song it's the closing song on the record. It's called "Thank You, Baby Jesus." You said you wrote it yeah. a while back. So tell me about what you or what inspired you and really what you wanted to convey through that song. Well, you know, I was thinking um, just this spiritual. I, lo- I love spiritual. And, I, you know, this was kind of my humble way of thanking um, our Heavenly Father for just sending his son, his darling son, Jesus. It's very, very simple. You know, you left your home in heaven for a stable filled with hay. Um, I, I just want to tell you this is the reason why I say thank you, baby Jesus. Thank you, baby Jesus. And he is, he is, the, he is the Messiah and I just want to, you know, just bring him glory. So it was just kind of my humble way of saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. He's so precious, and I'm just so honored that he would do that for me. You are listening to Meeting House here on Faith Radio. Linda Randall joining us today. Her Christmas project is out. It's called White Christmas, and it features a number of, as we might say, Christmas standards. And you also have some some tunes that might be new to people. You mentioned Thank You, Baby Jesus. I did want to get you to comment on your rendition of Go Tell It on the Mountain. Yes, that's kind of a <laughs> Mahalia Jackson feel to that song. I mean... I just had to go a little gospel on that one because, it's, you know, it's such a an energetic song. And I think an announcing the birth of Jesus should just set our souls on fire. And so it's um, it's just my way of kind of honoring Mahalia. For those people who don't know who Mahalia Jackson was, 
She was deemed one of the world's greatest gospel singers. She was one of the first Christian artists to break the color barrier. Her concerts were packed to capacity, white and black and everybody in between, when people couldn't even go to the same church on Sunday mornings. This woman, God used her voice to bring people together. And so I just honor her in, in doing that. But that's kind of a that's kind of a little bit of her version of Go Telling on the Mountain. Yes, absolutely. Linda Randall here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to Linda, that's L-Y-N-D-A, Randall, R-A-N-D-L-E, dot com. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. You can also find a link to the Media Center for The Intersection Podcast. It's also available for subscription free through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info or you can go to faithradio.org and find the Meeting House link in the programming section. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app as well as a variety of podcast platforms, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Next on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's another well-known Christian musician. He's the lead vocalist and bassist for Christian band Skillet, John Cooper, who discussed topics that he covers in a book entitled Awake and Alive to Truth, Finding Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World. From that conversation, this is John Cooper now. In the book, what, what I hope to do is to give two paths. There are two different ways you can try to find truth. One path leads to life, and that is through Jesus Christ and through a Jesus Christ that we can know because we have his words written down in the Bible. And if those words aren't true, then we can't know Jesus Christ, right? So it is through the truth of the word of God with Jesus that gives us life. The other path leads to death, and that path is found in my own heart, as you said, with my emotions it's what I feel. I just, I just know what's right. I just know what I know. Uh, or, or with my tiny brain, with these tiny brains we have, we think we can unlock all the secrets to the universe based on what I feel and what I think. So I talk about that in the book. There is um, a, a chapter on not trusting your emotions. There's a chapter on original sin that, that explains that you, you can't find what is good for you because you are tainted and polluted by sin. And then we get into the emotions. So a lot of those things, you know, um, um, are discussed. And this is something I did say in in the book. Amazingly, there are so many ex-Christians. I call them ex-Christians. I've heard them called Mm. apostate or ex-Christian or people that have just, they want to follow Jesus, but like in a a new way. In a different way, yes. Whatever that might mean. And I have a a sentence in the book that says um, that many ex-Christians would rather receive perceived virtue from a relativistic world mm, mm. than to receive the gift of righteousness through an absolutely holy God. And that is an amazing thing. God will give you absolute righteousness because it's his righteousness. But the, you know, our, but ex-Christians are like, yeah, I don't need that. 
I want the world to like me. I want peace with the world. I want to look like a good person. And that is why it's so confusing. Now celebrities are like, yeah, I like the money, but what I really want is to be, is, is the virtue signal. I, what I really want is for the world to think that I am on the quote, right side of history. Oh. And you know what happens <laughs> when you, when you think you're on the right side of history based on your emotions, most of the time you're going to actually be standing up against the word of God. It, it begins with this amazing, the amazing words of Christ, right? Where Jesus says this, there will be people who hear my words, but they do not act upon them. Hmm. And they are, they will be like the people that build a house on top of sand. And when the storm comes, they just get demolished. They get wiped away. But there are also people who hear my words, believe them and act upon them. And they will be like the person who builds their house upon a rock. That is the foundation of the book. So chapter one is called Built on the Rock. And the idea is this, doesn't it sound great in 2020 to build your house upon a rock mm. during, that means if a pandemic comes, you will be safe. That means if your kids don't follow Christ, you will be safe. There's hope for them, right? That means no matter if your parents get divorced or if you're like me, your mom dies from cancer when you're a teenager, you know that no matter what happens, your life is built on a foundation that will not change. So from there, I go into a little bit of the philosophies of the world, the new reigning philosophies of relativism, critical race theory, to explain this is the reason we're so confused. And from there, what I, I say, if we, if we know that relative truth doesn't work, right, nobody, nobody really wants to live like that. If you believe in relative truth, then you have to be fine for your spouse to say, hey, I'm leaving you and the kids because what's right for me is being mm -hmm. my truest self. You have to be fine with that. Otherwise, then, then you're not fine with relative truth. So we talk about authority of scripture. You have to believe in something outside of yourself that never changes. Where original sin comes into it is because I had a conversation with a friend years ago during my study time. And my friend was kind of like, no, I do think that, that, that I'm a good person. And I was like, oh, you mean you think you're a good person because you're saved? And he goes, no, I think that people are generally good. And I said, then why do you need Jesus? <laughs> you don't need <laughs> Jesus if people yeah. are good. And that was when I first found out. And I know I sound ignorant. I didn't know that any Christians, uh, I, I thought that all Christians knew that we weren't good. I thought that all Christians knew that we were born with a bent towards wickedness, but apparently that wasn't the case. So we talk about original sin and, and it, it, I'll be honest with you, it's a depressing chapter. It's supposed to be because it is the tragedy of the fall so we can celebrate the triumph of the cross. John Cooper here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to the website johnlcooper.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's husband and wife filmmaking duo Jim E. Chandler and Jen Gotson, actors in and producers of the movie The Farmer and the Bell, Saving Santa Land. In our recent conversation, they gave some insight into the plot of the film as well as its concept centered around the meaning of true beauty and identity in Christ. Here now from that conversation are Jim E. Chandler and Jen Gotson. The Farmer and the Bell was something that I received as a, as a prayer uh, when Jim proposed to me. And uh, this concept, because his family lives on a farm. And I'd never been on a family farm before with pigs, chickens, cows, or goats. And this concept 
of the farmer and the bell, and bell is another word for beauty. And because I was struggling in my life with my image, I thought it was very, very helpful to be able to make this the title, The Farmer and the Bell. So it's a mission to be able to help girls, teens, and women of all ages really understand that our value is not based on how we look, but really based on how God sees us. All right. So, Jim, let me ask you this. My, my curiosity is piqued just a bit. Did you actually propose to Jen on your family farm? No, I uh, did not propose to her there, but we were actually in the area and she you were visiting at the time. And I proposed to her um, on a little walkway in downtown Chattanooga, Tennessee, because that's just north of where we filmed and where my family lives. And it was a very special moment and it worked. She said yes. <laughs> I said yes. All and right. Bob, we got married on uh, Jim's family's Yes. So in the end credits of the movie, you literally see our wedding. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome. So is the farm, is it in Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama? No, the farm is in North Georgia, Walker County. Okay. Shout out to the Walker County Commissioner's Office. There you go. Um, and yeah, my family's been on that property for 100 years. So it was really special to be able to shoot on the family property, as well as a camp, Camp New Dawn, which is a faith, a, 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 a faith camp, a Bible camp for kids that my parents helped found 25 years ago that's still operating uh, on, uh, on the premises as well. So it was really, really cool. All right. So the, the movie and really the franchise that you're developing is called the farmer and the bell. Jen, am I talking to the farmer and the bell now? (laughs) You are. I'll give you one guess as to who's who. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Let me think about that for a bit. I'm the bell and you're the, and I'm the farmer. All right. Very good. So what's the plot? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. It's so much fun. It's a fun family Christmas treat for all ages. And the plot follows a little girl, 10 years old, who receives this heirloom charm bracelet from her Grammy. It has inscriptions on it for Pathway to True Beauty. Well, little Belle, she goes off to this farm Christmas festival called Santa Land and where does she lose the bracelet? No other place than in the pig slop. And so... She's now this famous model as an adult. She goes away from her roots of what Grammy taught her, and she looks to the world for her value, and her career is now over. Mm. And she goes, I need that message of that bracelet. So she says, do I want to go back to my childhood roots to Santa Land and face the chickens, the pigs, the cows, my childhood pen pal where they had a far- falling out? And do I want to realize, is my value based on that spark of divinity? Or is it based on the glitz and glam of the fashion world over the Christmas season? Well, you're listening to Meeting House here on Faith Radio. Jen Gotson and Jim E. Chandler joining me today. Husband-wife duo. They have produced and act in this movie, The Farmer and the Bell Saving Santa Land. So, Jim, let's kind of flesh this out just a bit. When you talk about Santa Land, is that some sort of amusement type park or a Christmas right. festival. Well, it's, uh, if you, it's interesting. If you actually Google Santa land, you'll probably find maybe a local Santa land and, and something like I actually, when I was doing the research for the area, we had already come up with the title, but I researched it and there's actually one in North Georgia where it's, oh kinda, it's a, it's a little festival area where they might my sell goodness. Christmas trees or they might have uh, trinkets or they might sell decorations um, or uh, it might be, uh, well, it could be various things. But for us, ours is like a festival that has 
uh, vendors booths and games and Santa land is there and there's a concert. And that was what we came up with for the story point of our movie was that my family has been running a, a Santa land festival on our farm for a long, long time. And we're in danger of losing it. So in comes Belle to see if she's going to be willing to, uh, to help or if she's going to run back to New York and go back to her regular old glitz and glamour <laughs> fashion model world. But so, but Santa land is not a real place. Uh, as in that we used one for the movie, we actually created it. Jen Gotson and her husband, Jim E. Chandler, here on this edition of The Intersection. You can find out about the film by going to thefarmerandthebell.net. Well, we are about to wrap up this edition of The Intersection podcast. It's a weekly feature from the Meeting House program. You can learn more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by going to the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests from the Intersection podcast. You can find the podcast through the homepage of the Meeting House. You can also subscribe via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there's a link to video content, including recently added Zoom conversations from a variety of guests on the Meeting House program. Again, the homepage address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and through a variety of podcast platforms. Just look for Faith Radio Podcast. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.